This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. I'm Martin Strong, and we're going to talk to the folks at the Alzheimer's Society of BC and the great work they're doing to help people and their families suffering from dementia. We'll hear all about that. But first, some of the consumer news headlines from the past week. Canada's top banker, Tiff Macklem, was in Vancouver this past week, defending his move last week to raise interest rates again. In his year-end speech made here in town, the governor of the Bank of Canada admitted that a tough stretch lies ahead if we want to cool inflation after the central bank was surprised by how quickly prices started to rise this year. In a year-end speech in Vancouver, Bank of Canada Governor Macklem says the bank underestimated how hard it would be to restore supply chains and how the overheated economy would make things worse. The bank last week lifted its target interest rate by another 50 basis points to four and a quarter percent, And Macklem says the bank is determined to get inflation under control, and he expects we will see clearer evidence of success by the spring of 2023. BC's privacy watchdog says it's troubling that the Provincial Health Services Authority has known about the security risks to its computer systems since at least 2019 but hasn't done much to fix it. Information and Privacy Commissioner Michael McAvoy says in a report that the computer systems that store sensitive personal information from mental health to sexually transmitted disease records are vulnerable to attack by cyber criminals. The report makes seven recommendations, including encrypting the records and developing a proactive audit system to monitor for breaches rather than only responding to attacks After they happen, the health authority hasn't yet responded to the report. Dealing with the BC Vital Statistics Department can be a challenge at the best of times, but a woman in her 70s who went in trying to change her name, which had accidentally been spelled wrong on her birth certificate many years ago, had a particularly tough time. And now the ombudsperson of BC says the woman faced improper discrimination of a senior when the application to change her name was rejected. A report released by Jay Chalk says the woman's application to change her first name to Elizabeth after it was misspelled Elizabeth on her birth certificate way back in the 1940s was rejected because she couldn't provide two documents showing her preferred name had been used before her 12th birthday. Chalk says overly rigid decision-making at the Vital Statistics Agency uh, unfairly disadvantaged this woman because of her age, and that meant that these records had been destroyed over the years. The report says the agency has accepted the recommendations to reconsider the name change request and more fully consider individual circumstances when using discretion in decision-making. And I guess that translates to lighten up. It wasn't a great end of the week for the stock market, with shares of Tesla continuing on their downward trajectory, though it's after weeks of the stock price being pummeled. It's now about 60% lower than its all-time high at the end of last week. This all comes with news that CEO of Tesla, Elon Musk, has sold another $3.58 billion worth of stock in his car company. 
And uh, a filing Wednesday night by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission showed that uh, Elon Musk sold the shares from Monday through Wednesday. So that raises the total worth of stock in Tesla that he has sold since April to $23 billion. And financial analyst Dan Ives says in a note to his clients that the Twitter nightmare continues because Musk is using Tesla as his own ATM machine to keep funding the red ink at Twitter. And from the Vancouver Consumer Charity Hall of Fame comes Kathleen Rempel of Nanaimo. She has donated a lot of toques, handmade toques to charity. In fact, she says she lost count of how many hand crocheted multicolored toques she's donated to charity over the years, but she figures it's more than 10,500. She's 89 years old, and she remembers how scarce money was during the Depression, and she says it feels good to give. Rempel says when you grow up in winter cold, you know how meaningful a little warmth can be. And that's where the toques come in. And while she doesn't know the exact number of hats that she's donated, she says she makes one toque before breakfast, another one before lunch, one before dinner. And if she's lucky, she makes another toque before bed. So congratulations. Uh, This is Vancouver Consumer. And up next, what uh, actually uh, we're going to talk about what actually is dementia. It's something that affects a lot of people in B.C., and not just the people who suffer from it directly. We'll talk to the folks at the Alzheimer's Society of BC when Vancouver Consumer continues right after this. This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome back. I'm Martin Strong. And you know, right now, there are more than 85,000 people living with dementia in B.C., but it's projected to be as high as a quarter million people by the year 2050. And more than most illnesses, dementia and Alzheimer's have a profound effect on the people around those who are hit with the disease. January is Alzheimer's Awareness Month, and there's a group in BC that is working very hard to change the way we think about that. It's the Alzheimer's Society of BC. And with me now is Tara Hildebrand, Support and Education Coordinator for the Society. Hi, Tara. How are you? Hi. Good morning, Martin. I'm doing great. Thank you. And those numbers, you know, like uh, I I guess uh, our society is aging. And I don't think I know anybody who has not been touched by someone they know or love who, who has some form of dementia. And it just seems to be growing all the time, right? It, it, yeah, you know, it's it's scary to think about, but the numbers are on the rise. We do have an aging population and that influx of the baby boomers where age is our greatest risk factor for developing Alzheimer's disease. But, you know, one in three of us are going to know somebody that is affected by this disease, whether it's my spouse, my parent, you know, my best friend's mom. So it's very prevalent in our lives. And so we want to help, you know, families understand where to connect and how to connect and get the support that they need throughout this dementia journey. Right. And and first off, let's define dementia. I think everybody mm-hmm. probably thinks they have an idea of what it means, but let's define dementia and, and also where does Alzheimer's disease fit into that? Yeah, so, you know, it's kind of one of those interesting 
topics, for example, I get asked all the time, well, what is the difference between Alzheimer's and dementia? Or I'll have a caregiver say to me, it's like, oh, well, you know, my husband has has dementia, but he doesn't have Alzheimer's, thank goodness. And I'm thinking, well... To be honest, it's the same thing. You know, think think of the term dementia like the term fruit. There's lots of different kinds of fruit. There's lots of different kinds of dementia. And Alzheimer's disease is one of the types of dementia. So there's many different types of dementia, and Alzheimer's is one of those. Right. And and I guess the the definition is the symptoms of memory loss, changes in mood, and, and difficulties with thinking. And I mean, what is that like? I, I guess I guess it's different for different people, but you know, little things like uh, you know making a pot of tea suddenly becomes impossible. Yeah, so all parts of the brain are going to be affected. So you know, when I talk to families, I always say this is this disease isn't just about memory loss. It's not just forgetfulness and you know me having to repeat what we're doing today and stuff. It's loss of uh, loss of memory for sure, but it's also loss of brain function. So the brain is changing how it perceives the world. Um, that person, you know, there's going to be changes with logic and judgment and reasoning and problem solving and sequencing, which is, you know, making that pot of tea or that pot of coffee. There's a lot of steps to all of the projects and jobs and things that we do during the day. And those that person living with dementia is going to be missing some of those steps. So they might know what they want and that end result, but are now unsure of either how to get that task started or how to complete all of those steps in the correct order. Yeah. And it, 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 it's so heartbreaking for people to see their loved ones change so much. It's such an insidious disease because with other diseases, you know, the body is being attacked, but, but the person remains the same, but Mm -hmm. uh, it must be so stressful. And uh, I mean, I've had a little bit of experience with it, with, with my loved ones as well, but Mm -hmm. it's so stressful to watch people that you know and love completely change. Yeah. And it's, you know, so there can be changes in mood, changes in personality, all of those kinds of things. And one of the big challenges for family members is, you know, they, they're so used to this person being a certain way. And they're so used to this person reacting in certain ways or, you know, what makes them happy and sad and mad and glad and all of those things. And now all of a sudden it's like, okay, how I've responded and, you know, I've, I'm doing what I've always done and my person is not happy about that or they're not understanding me. And so how do I communicate with this person who's losing the ability to communicate? So that's where a lot of the education that we teach and, and the support that we provide to families is those day-to-day strategies on how to cope and manage and, you know, talk. we talk honestly about the grief that people experience with this illness. They're grieving those losses, they're grieving the changes, but this grief is ongoing for many, many years. So we talk about the fact that, you know, that's a different kind of grief. It's called ambiguous grief. It's, I refer to it to families like being stuck in the grief Bermuda Triangle where you're in it and you can't get out. You know, you're grieving for many years. And so it's because it's ongoing, it also takes the toll on the caregivers' health and well-being as well. And the caregivers are often the ones that are lost in this process. And that's Mm. who we are mostly focused on. Not completely, but mostly focused on. Tara Hildebrand is a support and education coordinator with the Alzheimer's Society of B.C., 
And uh, I want to talk about what the society is doing. You, you're sort of uh, mentioning that just now. But there's one thing I wanted to, to talk about briefly <laughs> is about how dementia is not necessarily a normal part of aging. And how often do people who aren't elderly uh, suffer from dementia? You know, dementia, I mean, it's mostly going to be seniors. So after the age of 65, our risk doubles every five years of developing Alzheimer's disease. But there is a variant um, called young onset Alzheimer's disease that affects a person in their 30s, 40s, 50s, early 60s. It's more rare, um, but it isn't, quote, an old person's disease, which is one of those things that increases the stigma of this illness, too. You know, people's like, oh, we're getting older. We're just, everybody forgets. Well, yeah, my brain is aging as well as I get older, but there's, there's a huge difference between what normal memory loss and, you know, changes in the brain because I'm aging versus a disease. Right. So uh, this is kind of a general question. I don't know if you could really answer this, but what are some of the signs that people could watch for uh, with the people they know? Uh, or even with yourself that that might indicate some kind of uh, dementia or or Alzheimer's that that isn't just so, uh, you know getting older. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So there are ten warning signs for Alzheimer's, and you can find that on our website at alzheimerbc.org. But the ten warning signs are basically um, changes in in personality, um, memory that affects their day to day abilities. So you know, they're forgetting their morning routine or they're missing things and they think that they're functioning pretty good. Um, but other people are starting to recognize that things aren't exactly the same as they used to be. Problems with language is one of the main ones too, where, you know, nouns are the first thing that disappear with this disease. And so the person might be able to describe something really well, but they can't give you that exact word for what it is they're trying to tell you. Um, they might be missing words in a sentence or putting words in that don't um, fit. Yeah, we understand the gist of what they're trying to say, but they're not, com they're not communicating like they've always done. Um, impaired judgment. So they're not necessarily making good decisions anymore. Uh, problems with abstract thinking. So earlier I mentioned, you know, changes with logic and judgment and reasoning. So when we're starting to notice that, you know, yeah, we've had some big life events, you know, we've moved or we've downsized or we've retired or whatever that is. And I've recovered pretty good and my person still isn't functioning. Um, we might need to have that checked out at the doctor's office. We do have a whole um, section on our website and you can call any of the resource centers or the dementia helpline as well to find out more information. But we do help families where they're looking to seek a diagnosis because they know there's something going on. And so we walk them through that process of getting a diagnosis as well. And that website again, alzheimersbc.org. Yes, alzheimersbc.org. Alzheimerbc.org. Yes. No S yes. at the end of Alzheimer's. <laughs> no S. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, <laughs> so what is the process for a lot of people they that that are affected by Alzheimer's or dementia? Maybe they're they're just their a loved one has just been diagnosed. How do they get connected with the Alzheimer's Society of BC? Honestly, the easiest way to connect with us is by calling the Dementia Helpline, and that number is 1-800-936-6033. That's the easiest and fastest way to connect with us, but they can also ask to be referred to us through their family doctor, physician, or the pr practitioner that made that diagnosis for them. 
Um, but there's so much support and information that we can provide, regardless of whether a person comes to us from a formal referral or a self-referral. They're all put into our First Link program, which is and so many numerous um, ways of supporting that person. So, you know, it includes getting them into um, our system, starting a file for them where we can do proactive outreach and connect with them on a regularly scheduled basis. We can get them into support groups, education. We can talk to them about our webinars and explain a little bit more about what the Dementia Helpline does. So there's so many programs and services that we offer for people living with dementia and their care partners, families. Yeah, things like uh, Minds in Motion. It's kind of a mm-hmm. fitness program. How, how does that work? Yes, thank you. I'm glad you asked about that one. Minds in Motion is actually a really unique program that we have at the Alzheimer's Society of BC. It is a social and fitness program. Um, it's for people in the early stages of the disease and a care partner. It doesn't have to be their primary care partner, but they do need to attend with someone else. It's um, We do offer it in person and online. The program is about 45 minutes to an hour of uh, exercise based on posture and balance. And then we do an hour of social time after. And sometimes it's lots of conversation and visiting just like it would be in any other public program. And sometimes there's games, activities, or something a little bit more structured that that facilitator brings uh, to the group that day. So a really fun program, and it allows that person with dementia and their care partner to still be involved in a community-based program and feel like they fit. They still have a place to go where, where they fit with the current skills and abilities that they have. Right. And and you always think of dementia as being uh, the brain and the way somebody, you know, speaks or thinks. But how does dementia affect people physically? Um, over time, it's going to affect how that person moves their body. So there will be changes in gait and posture. The the contracting muscles of the body get tighter as the disease progresses. So we, you know, that's where minds and motion is focused on that balance and posture and, you know, um, strengthening the, those, keeping those muscles strong and all of that kind of stuff. But, you know, vision is also changed, changed with this disease as it progresses. And it, it doesn't mean that there's a problem with the eyes themselves, but it's how the brain interprets what the eyes are seeing. So the brain isn't going to be able to, um, necessarily connect with how distance and, you know, whether the ground is up or down or smooth or flat. And so we see changes in how they walk. We will also notice that they won't be able to interpret the speed of moving objects the same way. So that's why driving is also affected as this disease progresses as well. Driving won't be something that that person will be able to do indefinitely. And so we'll have to look at other options for getting that person with dementia to and from appointments and programs and all of that kind of stuff. We're talking to Tara Hildebrand, Support and Education Coordinator at the Alzheimer's Society of BC. And you can find them online at alzheimerbc.org. And uh, they can be a, a huge resource if you're living with somebody uh, suffering from dementia. And, and if you are helping someone with dementia, right now, the holiday season can be a very trying time. And the Alzheimer's Society of BC has some great tips for that. And we'll hear more from Tara about how you can help someone you love with suffering from dementia uh, at this time of year. That's all when Vancouver Consumer continues. Uh, We'll be right back after this.
This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome back. We're talking uh, dementia with Tara Hildebrand, support and education coordinator with the Alzheimer's Society of BC. Uh, they can help you if you're dealing with someone uh, who is suffering from dementia or Alzheimer's, or um, maybe it's uh, it's you yourself who is suffering. Go to alzheimerbc.org. That's the we- the website, alzheimerbc.org. And you have a helpline, and the helpline is 1-800-936-6033. And, and this is a helpline. It's not a crisis line, right? Right. Yes. We're, we're here to help and support. If there is an emergency, please call 911. That's, we, we can't manage those crisis calls. <laughs> right. But you are there as a helpline. And, and one of the things I think people need help with uh, when they're dealing with dementia is the holidays. Uh, I guess the holidays can be a very trying time for people with dementia. Yes, very. You know, it's there's so much activity, there's so much going on. And I think one of the biggest things when I'm speaking to families is talking about expectations. You know, just the other day, I was talking to a caregiver, and she was feeling quite overwhelmed about the holidays and Christmas coming. And I said, you know, what is what is the thing that's kind of stressing you the most? And she says, well, I'm always the one that hosts Christmas. And, you know, we I love having the kids and the grandkids over. She said, but that much commotion causes so much stress and anxiety for my husband. She says, I just don't know how to manage that anymore. So we had a really frank discussion about, you know, we, we make our holiday traditions and we pass them on, you know, generation to generation. We're allowed to change the rules. We don't have to do exactly <laughs> what we did, you know, last year or the year before. And can somebody else now take on some of those traditions and host Christmas? Or, you know, one of, one of the key things to talk about, and just like I talked about with this, this caregiver the other day is we need to learn how to be flexible during these times and let go of some of those expectations and adapt and you know we need to learn how to be in that moment which is kind of like that buzzword that we hear all the time is like oh you know be in the moment and all of that kind of stuff but it is vitally important it's for that person with dementia it's those moments that matter you know as their disease progresses they're not going to be able to create and store memory anymore so they're enjoying it in the moment. And so those those are the things that matter the most. Those are, you know, the things that matter most. I remember when I worked in long-term care myself is, is those are the moments. It's not about what happened yesterday or the day before or last year. It's about what's happening right now. Yeah, that's a key piece of advice for anybody <laughs> to be, to, to <laughs> stay in the moment. And, and cause I've, I've been there at situations where, where people, uh, may not be enjoying themselves and everybody else is, you know, maybe it's an older person sitting there and everybody's trying to be positive and they're, they're doing their best. And in a way they're not really helping because they're, they're putting too much pressure, I guess, on that person. Mm -hmm. And again, it goes back to, you know, we have to think about what are, what are the holidays? You know, there's so many gatherings and, you know, get togethers and parties and dinners and all of that kind of stuff. And we want to be able to celebrate and we want to be able to include that person with dementia and their care partner. But we also need to be mindful of, 
you know, helping them participate in ways where it's meaningful to them, but not overwhelming. And especially for that person with dementia, they're struggling with, you know, processing all of that information that's coming in and their brain is already in overload. And so, you know, the more we can simplify and keep things a little bit quieter or have, you know, one-on-one conversations rather than large group conversations, that's really hard for them to keep up in those large groups. And so you'll start to see them, you know, isolate more or they're wanting to go into another room where it's quiet and watching their body language and their cues that they're giving you to know is like, hey, they're not having a good time right now. But then also checking in on that caregiver. How is their primary caregiver doing? You know, their caregiver is, is like I said earlier, the one that's often lost in the shuffle. Everybody's so concerned about that person living with dementia, and rightfully so. But we also need to be checking in on the caregiver and making sure that we're giving them opportunities to enjoy the holidays, but also opportunities to get their needs met and rest if they need it. Yeah, and I'm looking at some of the the data that you have on uh, the increased likelihood of depression, emotional mm. stress, and then there's the financial problems with with the caregivers. And uh, how is the Alzheimer's Society of BC? Uh, I I know you are providing a lot of uh, resources for the caregivers as part of this because it it really is part of the focus of the society, isn't it? Absolutely. That's you know our our services. I I spoke with a caregiver the other day and kind of explained our programs and services when I did her intake. And she said, oh my goodness, I had no idea you guys did so much. And she was not overwhelmed by it all, but she was just excited that she knew there was so many opportunities to connect. And like I mentioned earlier, and you mentioned as well, Martin, the the Dementia Helpline is there for help and support. We do ongoing uh, uh, support calls for our clients. So once they're in our system, we have call protocols. So we're checking in on them every few months, um, you know, at a three month, six months, one year mark and ongoing throughout that progression of the disease. We have dementia education. So online and in person, you know, we're doing our best to connect with people that live remotely or can't attend in person for numerous reasons. So our dementia education is in person and online in various communities. We do support groups. So we have support groups for caregivers as well as people in the early stages of dementia. So our early stage support groups are really valuable for those people living with an illness as well. And then our caregiver groups, we also have specialty groups. You know, we've got groups for frontal temporal dementia. We've got groups for adult children looking after their parents. We have groups for people whose person has moved into long-term care and just regular standard groups. So lots of different kinds of groups as well. So lots and lots of support. And then like you mentioned, our our wonderful fun Minds in Motion program that, that we do in person and online as well. Right. And you can learn more about this online at alzheimerbc.org. It's the Alzheimer's Society of BC. And the the helpline is 1-800-936-6033. We're talking to Tara Hildebrand. She's the support and education coordinator for the Alzheimer's Society of BC. And as I mentioned uh, earlier, uh, dementia and Alzheimer's are not going anywhere. Uh, by the year 2050 in BC, it's expected uh, people living with dementia, could the number could be as high as a quarter of a million people or almost to that number. Uh, so it's, it's not going anywhere. And if you want to be part of the Alzheimer's Society, this great work that 
that uh, that you you people are doing, especially now because it's kind of the time of giving. It's the holiday season. Um, how do you recommend people get involved with the Alzheimer's Society? Is it just uh, maybe they could just donate money, or are there other aspects that they can get involved? In? You know, we have numerous volunteer positions available throughout our province, and there's a specific spot on our website about I want to volunteer and give back. But right now, you know, with the amount of work that we do in our province and stuff in, in January with Alzheimer's Awareness Month coming up, we really want to focus on the support and information that we provide to families. And those charitable donations are really, really important to us. More than half of our funding comes from community support um, year in and year out. And that allows us to help people living with dementia navigate and their families navigate that dementia journey. So those the money that we bring into the society um, helps provide programs and services. So everything that you and I have been talking about today and how we help people day to day um, at every stage of the disease. And then it also supports our advocacy efforts. It allows us to fund research because we put money into that as well to find the causes and future treatments. So, you know, there's a lot of ways to give back to the society. If you're able to, to give back financially, we truly appreciate that support. So a little dough goes a long way. Go to alzheimerbc.org is the website. You can make a donation there and you can learn more about the society and, uh, and how the society is helping people uh, get valuable information. Uh, part of that is the first link dementia support program that you have. Um, briefly tell us you know, define the first link dementia support program that you have. So all of those programs and services that I just mentioned, you know, the support groups, the education, and by the way, we also have wonderful webinars every Wednesday. Um, you can find the recorded ones on our website as well. Just type in recorded webinars to our website and they'll bring up a whole, um, whole bunch of uh, recorded webinars that that we have uh, done in the past. So every week is a new topic. But the, essentially what it means is when you become part of our First Link program, you have access to all of that um, and more. You have those ongoing support calls with clients. You know, I work, I work in the uh, central interior part of our province and I have numerous clients calling the Dementia Helpline, but also the, the resource center that I work out of. So we also have local resource centers. Easiest and fastest way to get a hold of us, like we say to all of our clients, though, is calling that Dementia Helpline. There is a staff person answering that call, you know, Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. So there's tons and tons of help and support available. But essentially, that first link is that whole suite of programs that we offer to families and, and people living with dementia. And go to alzheimerbc.org for that number. It's 1-800-936-6033. And you also recommend um, get uh, help from your healthcare provider to, to get a referral because that, that helps the process along too, right? It does. You know, we, when we look at our statistics, if a person is a caregiver, for example, has said, you know, you should probably connect with the Alzheimer's Society. There's help and support there. Our statistics have shown that on average, it takes 11 months for that person living with dementia or their care partner to connect with us. And there's so much that we could have done to support that family in the meantime. So getting your healthcare provider to make that formal referral allows us then as staff to be able to 
do proactive outreach and and call that family rather than putting the onus on the family, adding one more thing to their plate that they've got to do on a, on an already busy plate. So we want to make sure that families are able to connect with us in any way. And there there's so many resources and uh, a lot of people. Uh, who are living with people who are suffering from dementia, they probably feel alone. And uh, if you go to the alzheimerbc.org website, you can learn about all the resources that are there. You even have a YouTube channel, right? <laughs> You'll find our our recorded webinars. Yes, they are actually YouTube videos. So <laughs> we're we're into everything. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, in the uh, in the last thirty seconds or so, what's your advice for people uh, living with dementia? Maybe they have a loved one, and uh, I mean, do you have like one little nugget of advice or or you know words of wisdom for them? I, I think, you know, please, please connect with us. We want to help families understand how to live well with this disease. There is so much quality of life that, that happens throughout the progression of this disease. If you've met one person with dementia, you've met one person with dementia. Everybody's different and the journey is all going to be different. So we help families navigate that through the variety of programs we offer, the, you know, one-to-one support that we offer in our phone calls. And um, we're here to help and support families. So please, please don't hesitate to reach out. Go to alzheimerbc.org and Tara Hildebrand, Support and Education Coordinator with the Alzheimer's Society of BC. Thank you for all the great work you do and uh, have yourself a great holiday season. Thank you so much and you as well. And still to come on Vancouver Consumer, the busiest day of the year is coming to YVR. I'll tell you how to stay sane if you're traveling on that day or any day over the holidays. That's coming up when Vancouver Consumer continues right after this. This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome back. I'm Martin Strong. And you know, the busiest day of 2022 for the Vancouver Airport is coming up. It's going to be this Thursday, December 22nd. YVR figures they will deal with nearly 64,000 passengers on that day this year. And while that may seem like an unfathomable number of airport passengers in one day, it won't be a record for the airport. Instead, YVR had a more active day on December 20th, 2019, when it greeted just under 76,000 passengers throughout the entire holiday season. Around 1.8 million passengers are expected to fly through YVR this holiday season. And the airport has has offered some tips to make a potentially hectic day at the airport slightly less of a nightmare to help deal with the increase in traffic. YVR is expanding YVR Express. That allows travelers within Canada to reserve a spot in the security screening line. YVR is also suggesting that passengers check their flight status at yvr.ca and consider checking in online, as most airlines offer that service. You can also pre-book parking if you're driving. But YVR says to consider taking the Canada line. And if you haven't taken the Canada line to the airport, it's incredibly convenient. It's going to drop you off inside the airport take you all the way to the waterfront station downtown and a lot of connecting stops in between. And one key piece of advice is one you probably already know, especially if you're a frequent flyer, show up early 
Delays can happen anywhere, including on your way to the airport. You can also speed things up by having documentation ready for airport staff. And overall, be ready for flight delays. While the percentage of canceled flights at Canadian airports is a lot lower than it was over the summer, you might remember how bad it was then, that could change as the airports deal with the heavy volume that is expected this coming week and in the week after that. John Gradick is a coordinator at McGill University's Aviation Management Program, and he told the Globe and Mail newspaper there's a very real possibility of some serious holiday flight cancellations if airlines' travel schedules turn out to be more ambitious than what the airports can handle. And Gradick's advice to Canadian travelers is to be ready for disruptions. He recommends sticking to carry-on luggage only, if possible. And this is a good idea. He says drop one of those wireless tracking devices in any of your checked bags. Uh, that is, of course, if they go missing and those cancellation devices will tell you on your phone where those bags ended up if they're on their way to Samoa or something. Uh, he also says purchasing trip interruption and cancellation insurance is a must. Gradick says he's mostly concerned about the volume of flights that Canadian airlines are operating during the holiday period. The Canadian government hasn't been as aggressive as U.S. authorities in putting pressure on the airlines to contain their flight schedules. And while in the U.S. their Thanksgiving traffic was up there at pre-pandemic levels, the airlines were actually operating fewer flights. They were going with bigger planes, more people per plane. But here in Canada, we're seeing a lot of competition on domestic and U.S. routes from smaller upstart airlines, and they're all flying smaller planes. So basically, it's lots of people, but also lots of planes coming and going, and that's what causes the delays. It's great news for consumers because it means more choice and cheaper airfares. The trouble is it means a lot more planes flying through Canada's already strained airports. So I guess if you are flying on Thursday or anytime during the holidays, the most precious thing you can have is patience. That and a good book. This is Vancouver Consumer. I'm Martin Strong, and I want you to enjoy the rest uh, of your weekend and the rest of the holiday. Have a great Christmas. We are here Saturdays from 2 to 4 p.m. I want to thank our producer, Leo Coelho, and uh, we will see you very soon. The news on CKNW is next. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.